In, in the past, what we've what standards have probably reacted to are, are major changes in technology. And I think what really happened with the development of the SDGs is that there's an acceptance that things have to change. And actually, as a as a as the world and as you know a, a complete society, we have to make certain changes and take actions to ensure that that we are all treated the same and fairly. So the SDGs have provided a route map for action that needs to be taken and for in a standards world that is absolutely the sort of format that we we can respond well to we have targets we have subject areas we need to look at we have industries and we have social economic um, issues that need to be tackled and so across any of the areas there are places where standards can support and help the attainment of those SDGs. And I think all standards bodies have embraced them to try and ensure that we are relevant and committed to what we need to do. Bringing you the stories behind the standards. This is the BSI Education Podcast with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Today's episode is on World Standards Day. Hello. My name is Matthew Childs and I am with Cindy Parakil. Hello, Cindy. How are you? Above average. And you? Fair to middling. Now, the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. And we are publishing this episode to celebrate World Standards Day 2021. We do love a celebration, don't we? <laughs> we are in a state of permanent celebration here on the BSI Education Podcast. <laughs> I love that. Now, now, the voice you heard at the top of the episode was Anne Hayes, BSI's Director of Sectors, talking about the importance for standards bodies like BSI of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals, or the SDGs, the theme of this year's World Standards Day. Yes, we speak to Anne about standards and the four P's of planet, people, prosperity and partnership, how particular British and international standards are helping achieve the SDGs and the importance of celebrating the role of standards makers. We also speak to Anne about what BSI is doing for COP26, the UN Climate Change Conference, taking place in Glasgow later this month. And the London Declaration, announced recently by BSI and ISO, described as a game-changing moment for international standards, which is hoped will enable a real acceleration by governments and industries tackling climate change and the transition to net zero. As well as hearing our conversation with Anne, in part two of the episode, you'll hear my conversation with Tim Webb about the soon-to-be-launched BSI Sustainable Standards Network, or as he puts it, a bubbling cauldron of sustainability expertise. Now, on the podcast, we like to ask all of our guests about their standards journeys. Make sure you listen to Tim's. He brings it to us in a particularly poetic style. A quick reminder that for more information on BSI Education, go to bsigroup.com forward slash education. Do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what we do here on the BSI Education podcast and you listen to us via Apple Podcasts, then please consider giving us a five-star rating. It's quick and easy and it really does make a difference to us being found by search and recommendations. Share us on social media using that hashtag BSIEdPod and if you have any comments or questions about this episode or previous episodes, or even ideas for future episodes, then do please get in touch at education at bsigroup.com. We really welcome your feedback. 
each year on the 14th of October, the members of the IEC, ISO, ITU and the entire standards community come together to celebrate World Standards Day. It's a way of paying tribute to the collaborative efforts of thousands of experts worldwide who develop standards and to provide the opportunity to increase understanding of the importance of standardization. The 14th of October was specifically chosen to mark World Standards Day because on that day in 1946, delegates from 25 countries gathered in London and decided to create an international organization focused on facilitating standardization, which went on to become ISO. This year's World Standards Day theme is on standards for the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. The 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development was adopted by all UN member states in 2015. At its heart are the 17 SDGs, which are an urgent call for action by all countries, developed and developing, in global partnership. They recognize that ending poverty must go hand in hand with strategies that improve health and education, reduce inequality and spur economic growth all while tackling climate change and working to preserve oceans and forests. So to help us look at the theme of this year's World Standards Day, our guest is Anne Hayes, BSI Director of Sectors. In our conversation with Anne, we zoomed in on those four P's of planet, people, prosperity and partnerships. But we started by asking Anne about a standards journey. Oh, well, that's a very, very good question. So um, when I started my journey, I was actually going to be a teacher. So something completely different to the world of standards and realized quite quickly that teaching wasn't for me. So ended up having to get a job and ending up in um, legal publishing, which was a great start in my life of having to deal with difficult conversations and and challenging people. Um, But after 16 years in legal publishing and information provision, thought I'm a bit fed up with uh, one subject. So I thought, I'd, I'd do something completely different. And boy, oh boy, did I not realize what I was doing as I entered the world of standards um, and just had a, a, sw- a swamp, a tsunami of information and, and uh, topics that came to me. Um, and it took me a while to really get my head around what standards were and what their potential was. And now I'm 20 years into my standards journey. Um, I'm still a mere beginner, I think. Uh, and I have had the privilege to work on so many different and complicated areas that actually have an impact on all of our lives every day that it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to do. Now, we have a couple of, uh, of buckets for our guests, Anne. So we have those that are been sort of seduced by standards and those that have been steeped in standards. Now, I think we can add a third one here, Cindy. Uh, swamped by standards, I think we might work for that. That's fantastic. <laughs> now, Anne, you're currently your BSI Director of Sectors. Now, we've looked at a number of these on the podcast before. Now, BSI has eight of these. We've got healthcare, digital, energy, food, digital manufacturing, built environment, transport and mobility, and environment, social and governance. So I'm interested to know, why do we slice the economic cake in this particular way? That's a really good question, Matthew. And it is um, you, the joy of BSI is you could work in any any particular area and any sector. But I think where we find ourselves at the moment and what we realized a couple of years ago is that 
the, the world is going through dramatic change. And what we're finding is that there are global challenges where standards can really play a part. And all of the areas that you've just mentioned have either got huge impacts due to sort of the sustainability issues that we find. So be that climate action and climate change. And we're obviously going to talk about this in a bit. And also, or, or, uh, and also are going to um, go through a huge program of digitization, which is going to dramatically change how their sectors operate. And really, that's where standards can come into play. And that's why they are so important to industry, to um, the economics of the world, and also to us as consumers. Generally, Anne, SDGs have become such an important framework for all organizations around the world, including national standards bodies and BSIs. Could you tell us a bit more about why um, the SDG framework has become so important for us? Well, yes, and uh, I think this is a this is a really good question because um, in, in the past, what we've what standards have probably reacted to are, are major changes in technology. And I think what really happened with the development of the SDGs is that there's a an, an acceptance that an acceptance that things have to change, and actually that as a as a as the world and as you know, a, a complete society, we have to make certain changes and take actions to ensure that that we are all treated the same and fairly. So the SDGs have provided a route map for action that needs to be taken, and for in a standards world, that is absolutely the sort of format that we we can respond well to. We have targets, we have subject areas we need to look at, we have industries, and we have social economic um, issues that need to be tackled. And so across any of the areas, there are places where standards can support and help the attainment of those SDGs. And I think all standards bodies have embraced them to try and ensure that we are relevant and committed to what we need to do. Now, talking about that uh, that relevance, Anne, we wanted to look look at this issue through the lens of four P's of planet, people, prosperity and partnerships. So starting with planet then, there are a couple of SDGs that are important here. SDG 13 on climate action and also SDG 7 on affordable and clean energy. So how do standards support the achievement of these particular SDGs? So I know in a in a bit we might talk about the London Declaration that was recently signed um, at the ISO General Assembly, which I think is 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 a really important thing to to look at. But if we think about these specific areas and thinking about climate action. Um, there's a huge amount of work that's gone on in the past. So you have things like energy management, you have things like um, the environmental management system that happened. So ISO 50,001 50, and 14,001. And both of those are standards that, that any organization, be they large or small, could implement and actually be seen to take an action on their impact on the climate and on how they manage um, their energy consumption. And I think it's really um, actually a tribute to ISO that they started work on those so long ago and 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 have provided um, a system that people and organisations can work to to make the improvements they need to make. And now moving on to the second P, people. We have three, we've picked out three SDGs. So SDG three on good health and well-being, SDG two on zero hunger, and SDG 11 to reduce inequalities. How would you say standards have supported the achievement of those SDGs? 
Yeah, so um, again, Corrections Corner. It's, it's, That'll be SDG it's 11, easy to, not to 10. Pick out examples, but I think it's really important to um, realize that, that the coming together of these communities to develop these standards actually is such a benefit to, to all people. And if you think about good health and well being, I think probably you can go back to the initial work that happened with health and safety and, and the, the improvement that having standards in health and safety made to accidents that happened in in, in industries such as construction um, and in industries such as um, chemicals, all of those areas where people could have been harmed, actually improvements were made because of the development in standards in health and safety. So within ISO, there's ISO 45001, which I think you've spoken about before, and that has had a, a massive impact on, on good health and well-being. Hunger is a bit more difficult, I think. Um, there are so many schemes and, and um, standards already in existence to try and help people in in food and in how they handle food and where they, where food comes from and farming techniques. But actually for ISO, I would say there's a couple of things and for standards in general, there's a couple of things. One is around food safety management, which is um, ISO 22001. But also for BSI, we did work on sort of protecting and defending food and drink from deliberate attack, which is a, a PAS we developed a number of years ago, PAS 96, which really looks at how we can ensure that food reaches people's safety. safety and the final one, which is you mentioned was SDG um, 10 on reducing inequalities. Um, I think that's an area that, that ISO have really and standards have really started to look at uh, for the future to try and ensure that that there is value in humans and that we are fair and respectful to everyone. And there we've recently published 76,005, which is on human value and really particularly looking at diversity and inclusion to try and make sure that organizations, whatever size, actually really think about how they're treating their people. And you're right, we have we have covered ISO 45001 in the past. In fact, I've just recently covered 45003, which is managing uh, psychological uh, health and yeah. safety in the workplace. And also on food, uh, we have an upcoming episode looking at, at the food sector and the relationship that standards have with, with food manufacture. Um, moving on to the sort of the, the third P then on prosperity, here we've picked out SDG 9, which, which is industry, innovation and infrastructure, and SDG 11 on sustainable cities and communities. So how does Standard support the achievement of these, these particular SDGs? So it's, it's, again, it's very broad. The subjects for these SDGs are very broad. But I think on, on um, industry, innovation and infrastructure, I think there's a couple that, that you might not really expect me to, to say here. But one of them is um, a, a British standard, BS 65,000 on organizational resilience, and really looks at how organizations can fit within their, their communities and how they um, how they react to events that happen and how they can ensure they are successful within that infrastructure. And the other one that I would mention is the risk management standard, which really asks organizations to look at how what they're doing and what they need to change and how they need to innovate and how they need to, to alter the way they are acting to ensure that they are successful. I think there's probably one other that I would 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 cover all of these subjects and all of these SDGs is, is the um, guidance on social responsibility that ISO produced, which is 26,000. And that really asks people to look across all of these areas to make sure that they are um, considering their impacts and what their responsibility should be across any of the SDGs. 
Um, the final one you asked me about was sustainable cities and communities. And we've done quite a lot of work on sustainable communities. I mean, there's an ISO standard, which is um, in the 37,000 series. Um, but also there's sort of greenhouse gas emissions of cities and looking at how cities can um, measure what they're, they're emitting and, and what actions they need to take to improve that. Do you want to know more about the role and purpose of standards in the modern world? Then BSI's free online course, The Power of Standards, is for you. Through its three modules, you'll learn about what standards are, why organizations use them, how they are made, and how and why people get involved in standards making. The course is designed to last around 30 minutes, but you don't need to complete it all at once. You can stop at any point and restart again later when you're ready. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. And now finally to the last P, partnerships, which is also SDG 17. Partnerships are crucial for achieving the SDGs. Um, and I know that we do, we at BSI do a lot of work with developing countries to help accelerate the achievement of the SDGs. Could you tell us a bit more about that? First of all, the whole world of standards is around partnerships and it's about mm -hmm. bringing them, convening them, getting people together so that they can talk about the issues and talk about the issues in a safe space so that they can um, actually come out with what is best practice at the end of the day. But beyond that, I think there's plenty of opportunity within partnerships of supporting developing countries. Um, within BSI, what we do is we, we, we seek out uh, developing countries that we can partner with as we run international committees to make sure that we bring them along into the family of standards, but also um, increase their knowledge, increase their experience, increase their level of responsibility that they have in developing the standards and to ensure their voice is heard. Because it could be perceived to be very easy to have sort of the... Um, Western nations uh, dominate standards development, mm -hmm. but that is the worst thing that could happen and that isn't what we want to happen. And I think that's why we really go to quite a lot of effort to make sure we partner with people to make sure that they're involved and they're part of that picture going forward. COP26 is fast approaching with the aim of uniting the world to tackle climate change. What will be BSI's role? I think the, f the first point I would say um, it's not just BSI's role. I would say it's um, it's standards and the global standards world's role in in COP26 and the response we have to that and the opportunity that we have to make sure people realise that standards can enable the meeting of some of the climate action that needs to happen. Um, by having effective standards in place and by encouraging people to use them, um, you are able to tackle some of the challenges that lie ahead. I think additionally what I would say is that with the global membership that, that our international standards bodies have, we have a massive number of people who are there ready to support the development of standards that will um, enable climate action to be taken. And I think it's very easy to overlook that. I mean, we've got a, a global army of volunteers who are involved in standards development, and we need to en encourage them and keep them engaged to take the action that is required. For BSI, we've really worked hard with ISO to make sure we're getting that positioning right. Um, we're speaking at some of the events. Uh, we're, we've got a couple of events that we're running ourselves. Um, but it's really around ensuring that 
that people see that the standards are part of the solution and not just supporting old technologies and old industries that we're looking ahead. Um, and another important output from that, that meeting is that we're developing a white paper and in answer to your earlier question, Cindy, around, um, you know, how standards can help developing countries in their, in their tackling the challenges that they face with climate change. Now, Anne, you mentioned uh, the London Declaration earlier on. Now, tell us about this this declaration and the the difference it's seeking to make in, in tackling the climate crisis. The London Declaration is really a massive step forward in, in the world of standards and, and all credit to ISO for really taking this up. And, and we're very privileged that it was signed within um, the ISO GA meeting that happened in London, hence the name or the the name that is being used, uh, the London Declaration. What, what that aims to do is to revisit all of the standards that are in existence within ISO and to actually assess them for their their impact um, on climate and to where necessary take action so that they are they are updated and aligned with um, getting towards a net zero globe and that is a huge commitment from ISO you know they have a massive catalogue of standards but it is a really important step to take the other key um, part of it is to ensure that those regions of the globe that are most affected and impacted by climate change have a voice on all these all this work because it's really important that they're not drowned out by other other major countries who may feel that you know they're they are the leaders in these areas. We need to ensure that we are listening to everyone who is impacted and that they have a clear voice as to the direction that these standards could take. So the first part of this is that that ISO are going to generate an action plan on on the activity that's going to be taken and BSI is working really closely with ISO to ensure that we we get that action plan done and that we are all committed to it. And from then, we will implement that action plan and we will be reporting on it annually to make sure that those changes are, are being made. It's sort of the time for talking has stopped really and the time for action is now here and all credit to ISO and the standards families globally that are, are coming together to take this forward. So obviously and we are publishing this to, uh, to sort of celebrate uh, World Standards Day. I just wonder from, from your perspective, given, given your experience uh, in the standards world, you know, how important is it that the standards community does come together to celebrate the work that standards makers do? I think that's a very good question, Matthew, and one that we could we could easily easily ignore. Um, the 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 impact of of the standards makers that we work with in BSI and around the world is is huge, and most of these people are doing this in in alongside or on the side of their desk doing their day job, and the time and effort that they give up um, is is huge. The experience that they bring is massive, um, and. The fact that they are prepared to put their head up above the parapet and give that time and actually contribute their thought and their opinion is is just invaluable. And I think, you know, we should actually just say thank you to them here so that we make sure that we we remember that and also invite anybody who's listening to this who's not involved in standards to actually not think of it with fear, but actually embrace it and get involved because it is the best way that you can make a change is to be involved in actually developing the standard. That's a very good point. And that's a useful uh, reminder. If you want to get involved in standards, then bsigroup.com forward slash get involved and take your journey from there. That's brilliant, Matthew. I'm so glad you said that. Thank you.
Are you a postgraduate studying at a UK university? Do you have a research idea or project that involves standards in some way? Well, if so, BSI Student Research Programme can help. The way it works is simple. We gain valuable information about an area of interest to our standards work, while you can benefit from mentorship to support your project and the chance to gain knowledge and exposure that may increase your future employability. To find out more about the program, including case studies of previously supported projects and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. Now, earlier, I mentioned about my conversation with Tim Webb about a new initiative from BSI called the Sustainable Standards Network. I started by asking Tim, why is BSI creating it? BSI recognised we're facing a global emergency and the importance of sustainability in tackling the, the, the twin challenges of climate change and biodiversity loss. Standards are the perfect tool to help industry, commerce and society to deliver actions with, with outcomes to achieve the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, speed the world towards reducing harmful emissions created by our lifestyles to net zero you know, in line with the Paris Agreement. If we fail to reduce emissions, we're condemning our children to failing ecosystems, ill health, short lifespans, hostile environmental conditions, where, where civil society would most likely crumble as every nation tries to protect itself. I know all that sounds a bit hysterical and doom-laden, but I am, believe it or not, a natural optimist. So confronting this dystopian possibility, the decline and fall of civilization, it, it's not something I'm comfortable with. Um, on the other hand, I know we have the knowledge, the technology, and the ability to avoid full catastrophe if we all act now. So the proposition is that we can create a cauldron of bubbling sustainability expertise. That's how it appears in my mind. But in reality, it's a network of experts with a deep understanding and knowledge of sustainability. Their role will be to help scrutinize standards, ensuring all our standards are delivering the best outcomes for society based on, again, the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. It's a very simple plan. And how does the Sustainability Network differ from the established Consumer Forum, which already has sustainability expertise? It, it is specifically focused on sustainability. While there is enormous crossover, it's a more focused and cross-sectoral uh, beast in nature. We'll have experts in, say, uh, soil composition, urban design, circular economies, uh, people from academia, NGOs, corporations, digital and tech entrepreneurs, Farmers, oceanographers, fungi and nanoscience nerds, sociologists, artists even, and historians of anthropology and indigenous cultures, credible specialists, all of them of all sorts, able to work together for the public good. Now, you've come to BSI having had sort of twin track careers in sustainability and journalism. So why this move? You know, what excites you about developing this network? Well, let's let's take a little journey back in time. So I grew up on the Welsh border in Herefordshire. It's a beautiful county of rolling green hills, small mixed farms, verdant fields full of sheep and grazing cattle, cider orchards patrolled by chickens and the majestic rivers, Arrow, Wye and Lug, jumping with fish. Sounds idyllic, doesn't it? But after leaving education, I worked in journalism, where I became aware of the issues, slowly reducing the fish in those rivers and the consumer demands, which saw small mixed family farms that were run by, you know, kids I went to school with, their parents ran those small family farms, unable to compete economically with the larger corporate-owned enterprises. Now, when I go back to Herefordshire, it's still a beautiful landscape, but the fields are bigger, 
monocultures dominate. Hedges and woods are gone. Orchards of cider apples, some unique to the region, are gone or greatly diminished, along with the wildlife which it all supported. As a teen cycling along the lanes and roads in Herefordshire, I was used to flies and bugs ending up in my eyes, hair and mouth, and, and daddy long legs would congregate around lights everywhere in the summer evenings. Sightings of hedgehogs and rabbits were commonplace. Do you remember, I think we're of a similar age, back in 2004, there was a campaign called the Big Bug Count, which involved people using a splatometer fixed to the front of yeah. their cars, yeah, counting the number of dead insects splattered on it after a 20-mile journey. What a crazy idea. It was an extraordinary experiment. It came about because people had noticed the number of common birds had declined, especially insect-eating birds. We now know that insect numbers had declined uh, and was a partial cause of the collapse uh, in bird numbers. Since then, we've banned some pesticides. We've changed the way land is managed. But the decline is still going on. Um, Another good example or bad example, I should say, comes from America and Australia. The wildfires and droughts across both led to serious falls in bee numbers where populations had already been devastated by a parasitic mite. Both countries rely on beekeepers transporting their hives their hives to almond orchards every year to pollinate the trees to ensure healthy crops. Without the bees, there would be no almonds, and the communities relying on the income from those crops would suddenly find themselves in dire straits. This year, Beekeepers in both Australia and America were worried they soon won't have enough bees to pollinate those almond trees. We are continuing to lose our biodiversity across every habitat from the Antarctic to the Arctic, every country, birds, insects, fish, amphibians and mammals. Um, I worked at the Wildlife Trust and the RSPB for more than a dozen years. We delivered some great work on the causes of house sparrow decline. We found solutions to reduce accidental bycatch of fishing trawlers, of albatross and other seabirds. One of my favourites identified a common anti-inflammatory drug used by humans and in animals, which was devastating vulture populations, believe it or not, across Asia. Parsis or Zoroastrians, one of the world's oldest continuously practiced religions, which they came originally from ancient Persia. Traditionally, they lay out their dead on what are called towers of silence, uh, and the vultures clean the bodies so there's no contamination from the bodies of soil or water. This tradition almost collapsed because there were not enough vultures. The problem was this drug called diclofenac, which reduces swelling in animals and people. It was routinely given to livestock. So when the vultures fed on dead cattle or on parsees on the Towers of Silence, they absorbed the drug, which caused liver failure in the birds. Not only was the cause identified, but because diclofenac was a low-cost, widely available drug, a safe alternative had to be found or diclofenac would continue to be used even though it was outlawed. So this is how a British bird charity ended up helping to introduce a cheap, wildly available anti-inflammatory drug to the world while simultaneously saving vultures and a sacred ceremony of huge importance to Parsis. So I've been involved in the reintroduction of sand lizards to scarce heathlands and creating wildflower meadows to boost pollinators in parks across London. But despite all this work, we continue to lose biodiversity and the natural changes in our climate have become unstable and more frequent. We need change on a big society-wide scale. That challenge excites me. And that is what makes BSI the place to be right now with this network. That was absolutely beautiful, Tim. And I think you've proven there exactly why you are the right person for this job. Now, you've talked about the important, the importance of this network. So, so when will the network launch? 
Oh, we we haven't yet put a date on it, but soon, very soon. I'm getting quite frustrated. I want to move faster. But first, we need to be clear on what, why, when and how and all of that sort of stuff. We need to make this work for everyone. We need to assess where we can best focus our attention going forward, particularly in light of the recent London Declaration. It's going to be game-changing moment for it is a game-changing moment for international standards. Let's face it; it's going to speed up delivery of government, civil, and industry action. No more blah 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 empty words, as Greta Thunberg recently said. Uh, you know, she was accusing world leaders of being guilty of of just saying stuff and just words. The network will improve sustainability across standards delivering world-leading best practice guides to tackle climate change and that transition to net zero, led by BSI, working with the International Organization for Standardization. The London Declaration is a commitment to ensure global standards will support climate action and advance international initiatives to achieve our global climate goals. The Sustainable Standards Network is part of that vision, helping to deliver it with expert input from across the UK. We have unparalleled expertise in this country, an incredibly rich mix of cultures and traditions to call upon to help us deploy that expertise and raise the bar for a better world. Our thanks to Anne Hayes and Tim Webb for talking to us for this episode and to you for listening. To find out more about the relationship between standards, sustainability and the SDGs, visit bsigroup.com and search sustainability. You have been listening to an episode of the BSI Education Podcast. Subscribe to us now, wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production.